Welcome to Pontifex. I'm Fry. And I'm Bree, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 33, Pope Eusebius. We've talked about uh, Eusebius. Is this the correct one or is this a different one? This is, this is definitely not that Eusebius. There are so, so many Eusebii <laughs> throughout the You know, next... I had to clarify. Yeah. For me as well as the listeners. And that's so good, too, because we are going to, the, the Eusebius that we have been talking about as our source is Eusebius of Caesarea, and this is Pope Eusebius, and then there's going to be Eusebius of Nicomedia, and then there is going to be, like, three or four other Eusebii, so, it, yes, we are going to clarify this all the time, <laughs> <laughs> because we're actually, we're actually almost at the point where we're up to Eusebius of Caesarea's actual time period. So we're going to be dealing with him in the story as well as as our source. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> this is not that Eusebius. I literally have in my notes, Pope Eusebius, not that Eusebius. So <laughs> Good. I, I hit that talking point for you. <laughs> you did. This episode's going to feel a little bit like deja vu as well. And it, it's going to be a short one because pretty much everything that we know about this Pope comes from a single poetic inscription on his tomb placed there by Pope Damasus, so... Oh, so poetry. That's all we got. This is all we have to go on. The church is going to continue to suffer from the near-complete destruction of writings from this point, so, yeah, we are at this point in the sources, but remember, we're about 20 years or so away from the Christianization where things start to change, so... Man, I, I forgot that it was still 20 years because the other pope was only pope for eight months. I'm like, yeah, we're getting through, no. Uh-uh. Yeah, and this is not going to get us much farther. So, <laughs> early life. First things first. Because we're going to have so many Eusebii, let's talk about the name Eusebius. All right. It is a Greek name. That means pious. And so it is thought that Eusebius was born into one of those Greek-Roman families and explains why there are so many Eusebii, because the name means pious. It's, it's a perfect Christian name. His father was a physician. And so, by extension, sources like the Liber Pontificalis indicate that in his early life, he was probably also a physician or had trained to be a physician before he entered the church. And then he enters the church and does enough to distinguish himself to be elected pope. He might have been a doctor at some point. That's kind of nifty. That's a complete career shift. But is it? Christians are dying in big, big numbers right now. Okay, so I guess if you need to make your priest stop bleeding out on the church floor, perhaps being a doctor is helpful. If you were born a Christian in this time and you also had medical skills, they probably wanted you to join the church so badly. So he gets selected to be Pope on April 18th of some year. Literally, we don't know what year. It was either 309 or 310, and considering that his papacy is going to be such a short one, it could reasonably be either. Because, you know, maybe there is an extended Sede Vacante after Marcellus's death, or maybe there's one after. Either way. And we know that he was sent out to, to go and be in exile for a while, so we don't know exactly when this whole next election thing happened. We're going to say that it happens in 310 because it makes the most sense to me in the placement of the between the Pope before and after. So run with it. All right. 
As Eusebius assumes the papacy, the church is still deeply embroiled with this massive conflict between the church and the lapsi. For a free cap, if you're listening to this a full week or more after you listen to our last episode, the Christians who had apostatized in the latest rounds of persecutions to save their life, the Diocletian persecutions, the most intense and bloody persecutions the church are facing, had now decided that they deserved to be readmitted back into the church without performing any kind of penance. Yeah, and then they got stabby. They got so violent, and they broke out into riots, and now they're demanding that the Pope acquiesce to them and say, you just need to accept us back without any penance. So let's show you why we deserve that by killing people. I still don't get that. Like, that's just another penance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not a good strategy. This is this is that phrase cutting off your nose to spite your face type of thing. Ah, uh, yes. So this had gotten our previous pope exiled by the Roman Caesar Maxentius, who got fed up with it when the pope wasn't in control of the Christians who are causing problems in his city. And now Eusebius is plunked down in the middle of this crisis and expected to solve it somehow. And yet he can't undermine the church stance as a whole, so he's standing strong with the position of his predecessors in the important need for penance after an act of apostasy and idolatry. So he's totally, totally backing Marcellus and everyone that has come before him except for maybe Steve, and he's not on board with this. And remember, this doesn't actually bar them from the church. They absolutely can return. They can be welcomed back. But penance is mandatory, so... Either way, like, he's not going to control this situation by seeing eye-to-eye with the lapsi. They're in the wrong here. Oh, and by the way, to make everything just a little bit worse, the Novatianists are still out there. And now, they are pointing at what's happening and going, See? This is why you don't bring back those lapsed Christians. They're probably gaining some followers for their approach here, And there are going to be Christians in the church who can just not handle the aggression of the lapsi towards them and decide that the Novatianists were right all along. Because they are, they are looking like they are totally right right now. That is, that is not a good look for the Catholic Church. That the schismatics are looking like their point is being proven. Not what you want. So what are the odds that Eusebius is actually going to be able to calm down this situation and bring the lapsi to some sort of resolution? Oh, very low poor. Uh, yeah, they are none. <laughs> there is none. Uh, the lapsi are having none of it. And Heraclius, this apostate leader that we mentioned last week. Who's not a lapsi? He, well, he's not a, he, he is a lapsi because he did commit apostasy and renounce the Christian faith. It's just that he didn't lapse during the persecutions. Oh. So he he definitely has lapsed away from the church, and they don't know why or when, just that it didn't happen in this in this time period. So he might have just done it on his own. He's responsible for bringing the lapsi together in an open and aggressive rebellion, and he's contributing to spur the lapsi on. So we are going to have more violence, more bloodshed. They're literally trying to force the church to accept them on their terms. And more importantly, as the open opposition to the Pope, Heraclius is sometimes credited as being our third antipope in history. Oh, sometimes. Only a little. So remember when you said you hated it and you didn't want to talk about him? Yeah. 
Andy Pope. Ah. However, I'm going to make you a little happy here because he's not getting a bonus episode on the Patreon feed. I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because I have scoured the internet and read every single primary source on this man. And uh, we'd have about a 45 second episode on him. So everything that there is to say about Heraclius is going to get covered in full detail in this episode. So everything I say is all that is known about this man. So no extra episode. I have already started working on our actual Pope number three anti-Pope episode, and it is not this man, and there's a lot more to say about that guy than this one. So it's much better. We don't even really know if he was the leader or if he was just someone who disagreed with the Pope. We can only call him the leader based on the academic work of Johann Peter Kirsch, who argues that it's most likely that this is what this guy was doing, but we can't even be sure of that. Everything you hear here, this is this is Heraclius' anti-Pope episode at the same time. You know, we have the violence, we have the death, we have everything, and Pope Eusebius is meant to bring this all together. Chaos continues to ensue, and Maxentius, our Caesar in Rome, has had enough. He has exiled one Pope to bring things under control with these rowdy Christians, and the new Pope has not been able to settle things down at all. Nope. So Maxentius has him and Heraclius seized and exiles the both of them. All right, where do they go? Well, first, this is all we know about Heraclius, full stop. We're done with him now. Goodbye. We don't know where he goes. We don't know when he dies, but he's gone. Goodbye. There, There's your 45 second episode on him. We do know a little bit more about Eusebius, like teeny tiny bit more. He gets exiled to Sicily. Maybe Heraclius was too, but that's not stated for certain. We just know that in Sicily, Eusebius soon dies, likely from physical exhaustion of hard manual labor and poor treatment. They gotta feed these people. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't care. That's just inconvenient to them. It's like when you get fish and you don't want them. (laughs) That's so terrible. But yes, they will always have a workforce that they can draw from, so they're they're really not concerned about Pope Eusebius in exile, and they really don't need to feed him. So, following his death, there will be another year-long Sede Vicante stretch, where the church is in no condition to appoint a successor to Eusebius. So, we went from the church being in ruins, and then Marcellus did what he could to bring it back a little bit, and now it is back in ruins, and... Not only from the constant aggression of the Empire, but the constant aggression of the Lapsi and the Caesar being done with them and being exasperated with their bullshit. And of course, we cannot forget that throughout this period, Emperor Galerius is still around. He may not be in charge of Rome, but he's still there and he is wreaking total and complete havoc on the Christians in the East. So this is what's happening in Rome. But it is not good for the rest of the empire. It will not be until 311 that the church will have a new pope. And only then will the new pope make one of his first acts to actually bring back Eusebius's body for a proper burial. So he gets left over there for probably a year before they bring him back. In Sicily? In Sicily. At that point that he's finally brought back in 311... He is buried in the catacombs of Calixtus, which they had regained enough control of to actually go back and conduct burial rites in, so 
Yeah, it is back. <laughs> they have unfilled all of the earth that they stuck in there. I'm sure that took some time. Oh, I'm sure it took so much time. But, you know, they, they're into that. This is something they're dedicated to. We, they love their cemeteries. Around 50 years after his death, Pope Damasus I would refit his tomb with a new inscription, because that's what Damasus does, bearing the poem that tells us nearly everything we actually know about Pope Eusebius. His tomb in the catacombs was later damaged, but by the 6th century, a copy of the inscription replaced the original, and fragments of this replacement is what was found by Giovanni Battista de Rosti when they did the archaeological excavations. So I'm going to read you the poem. We have it in full, and this is everything that I've told you in this episode is based on extrapolation from this poem. All right. Damasus the bishop erected this. Heraclius forbade the lapse to mourn for their sins. Eusebius taught the unhappy men to weep for their crimes. The people is divided into parties, and as the madness grew, sedition, slaughter, war, discord, strife. Suddenly, both were driven out by the cruelty of the tyrant, and since the ruler had kept the bonds of peace inviolate, he gladly endured exile under the judgment of the Lord and left the world and his life on the Trinicrian's shore. To Eusebius, bishop and martyr. So I got 15 minutes out of that poem. <laughs> yeah. I do as much research as possibly exists on every single one of these popes, and um, considering that that's what most historians have to go on to dig everything up, I'd say I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> Doing okay. So, um, yeah, we we need to rate this man. This man we hardly got to know. Papatum infallium. Good for Eusebius. We have that he defended the official stance of a welcome back to the church, but with strict penance. This is, at this point, like quality control in the church. But it also, it also really reinforces apostolic succession, right? He's, he's backing up Pope Marcellus and Cornelius and Lucius and, and not Stephen. Not Stephen. Yeah. So he's, he's doing the best that he can to reinforce what the church is actually about. So even in the face of where he could have just said, you know what? Fine. I don't care. Let's just, let's just end all of this before the emperor has our heads. Yeah. Stop having a an, an tantrum over here, please. You know, in that sense, he's still doing the best that he can. However, he still couldn't get things under control. But however, however, he didn't really have time either. Maxentius had already run out of patience on this issue. So, if he had been able to be Pope for longer, is this possible? Could he have done something? We we will never know. But he didn't really get a chance. So I can't really give him, I can't take points away from him that he wasn't able to control it because he really didn't have time. And, you know, he should probably get a pretty similar score to Marcellus here, I'm thinking, since it's about almost the exact same, you know, minus the reorganization, give or take. So, like, a two? Well, we gave, yeah, you gave Marcellus a two, and I gave him a three. So, if you want to give him a two again, I think I will do the same, but I'll give him a two, um, because I gave Marcellus a point for the organizations. So, a four, yeah, four seems pretty fair. That's a four for Papaton of Gallium. Fructus prohibitum. Christian violence. It's still happening. Yeah, we gave, we gave Marcellus a point for this, and... It's enough violence that this could potentially be an anti-pope. I think one. One is probably still good. 
Yeah. I think, yeah, that's as much as we can give them, so. Seculari impactum. Uh, same thing before. They're aggravating the emperor. Just for, for being a Christian, but actually causing a ruckus at the same time. So there is no good secular impact here. It's gotta be a zero. Fossium Sanctus. Let's see if this is his round. It's a little different. I actually, I really love this image of Pope Eusebius. He just looks so resigned to all of this bullshit, so. Oh. There he is. That's like the end of an eye roll. Yeah, I don't think he had a shot here. Um, but I love it. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of old men, but this is a very polished looking old man. Yeah, he's got a nice trimmed beard and his hair is really nice and. It's like flowing and a little bit floofy. Um, mm-hmm. Like he blow dried it. Yeah, it looks like he's just going, <sighs> you know, like he's just not prepared for this. So he is definitely sighing. His mouth is slightly open. I just, for some reason, I really like this one. So he's going to get a pretty good score from me. For yeah, I'll it. give him like a five. Okay, I'm going to give him a six. So that's perfect. He'll get an 11 in this category. Except math. Except math. The math gives him a 2.75, which is pretty good. That's the same as Dionysius got, so cool. And now I have one more for you to look at. It's from our terrible, terrible artist friend. Do we know their name? No. We just lambast them constantly. They just really like drag queen eyebrows. Uh, Yeah, they do. And that really fishy mouth. Yeah, I don't know. There's At this point... There's not much more new that we can say about these ones, but I keep throwing them in there just in case They haven't improved. They have not. Well, I I imagine they were all drawn at the same time. Look, even then, you improve a little bit with each one. That's possible unless you're me, because my stickmen have never improved. But yeah, so that is not going to change our score any. He did pretty decently in that category. And now we will move on. Tempest Pontificus. So, again, we don't know the year, so this is purely speculative. The 18th of April, either 309 or 310, to August 17th of 310. So, if we make that reasonably 310, his papacy is four months, which is what most of the sources say is four months. That's not very long at all. No, so we're going to give him half a year, to because that's kind of how we round. Uh, so he gets a score of 0.125 for this category. Not good. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. Okay, so yes, he has a feast day. He is a saint. It's September 26th, my brother's birthday. He's, he gets poor Paco. Pope Eusebius. Yeah, Paco gets uh, Pope Eusebius as his patron saint <laughs> or something. Um, he is mentioned in the Depositio Episcoporum. And of course, because of what we said before, there are other St. Eusebiuses, so we need to make sure we distinguish that this is the Pope one. Um, and of course, he's not a patron saint, so do we want to make him one? Exasperation. Okay. I was thinking I could make him the patron saint of my brother, but I like exasperation. (laughs) Paco doesn't get a patron saint. The patron saint of Paco. (laughs) That would be amazing. Somebody's going to write in and be like, is your brother's name really Paco? You are so white. Why is that a thing? No, it's not his real name. So he is the patron saint of exasperation. Like you you call upon him when you are exasperated. Oh, he's going to get...
get a lot of usage out of that though. That's awesome. You know, we'll make it, we'll bring him back to the, the forefront with that. There are a lot of exasperated people out there who Eusebius can go and intervene with. All right. So his total score, unbelievably, is an 8.875, which means that he scored higher than Marcellus. Just a little bit. He did. Um, by like a point one two. just a little bit it's a good thing we loved his we loved his face because that that was the difference we have one final question and that is is he popey enough is he pizzazzy enough do we give him a papal bull i cannot we cannot there is no way i mean there are some of these popes that we're gonna feel bad enough for that we're like yes but i mean if we're gonna give it to a pope that fails it has to be a spectacular failure and this is just sort of a exasperated failure so no unfortunately not second verse same as the first yeah exactly so there we go that that's the end of pope eusebius uh it's a short episode this week but you know we're coming up to a period where the episodes are getting so long in the research so it it, it is what it is at this point but we'll end with thank yous because we need to thank Totalis Rankium for not only everything that we thank them for every week, but this week on their Leo the Fourth episode on the Roman emperors that they do. Um, they ran our promo and they recommended us and said very nice things about us. So thank you guys, you know, for all of the work that they've already done to help us out. Oh, yeah, they do so much. Oh my gosh. I know. They are absolutely fantastic to us. Our our brother show, we are their sister show. They are, they're just the best. And if you're not listening to them, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Rob and Jamie. Again, you guys are the absolute best. And we got to thank Rex Factor, of course, for being our inspiration for, for the both of our shows and, and for Saga Thing as well. So for being the, the rest of the fam. Yeah, they they basically started something that was inspi- an inspiration to all of us and brought us all together. And every single one of those shows and those people are absolutely phenomenal. So go give them your support. We can be found on most major podcatching platforms, including Spotify. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as Pontifax Pod. Feel free to message us. We usually always respond. If you want to send us a more long-form message, request, or otherwise get a hold of us, our email is pontifaxpod at gmail.com. For our bonus episodes and exclusive content, head over to our Patreon page and donate. That's patreon.com forward slash pontifaxpod. If you feel the need to buy us a tea, because we're not really coffee drinkers, but we do love tea, you can throw us a few bucks in our PayPal account at paypal.me forward slash pontifaxpod. As always, please subscribe and rate and review on iTunes or whatever you use. It really helps us get recommended to other people and allows more people to find us. And with that, we can say thank you and goodbye. Bye.